Hello, listeners, and welcome to Your Uncomfort Zone, where we discuss and explore creativity, culture, and healing through lifestyle. I hope you guys have been well since my last upload. I know it's been a while. It's actually been over a month, and a lot has happened in that month. I know I don't have to explain my absence at all, but I do feel like I should touch a bit on what's been going on in my home province and with me professionally, personally, that sort of thing. So most of my listeners are Canadian and also from Newfoundland and Labrador, which is the province that I live in. But I also have a lot of a lot of listeners that aren't from here. So for those of you who don't already know this, um, my home province just came out of a month long lockdown. Um, We're not completely in the clear yet. We're actually at level four, whereas like before we're at like level five. So everything was shut down. Most people were laid off from their jobs, obviously with the exception of essential workers. Um, So yeah, we're coming out of this. It's been a weird time. And I originally intended to make the best of those four weeks and, you know, record a bunch of episodes and have them kind of already done and good to go and just cue them so that they came out when I wanted them to. That didn't happen, obviously. Um, the week that we went into lockdown, I got some weird news about my health, which wasn't fun. And then I was referred to like a specialist to go get things checked out and make sure that there wasn't anything serious. And obviously because of the lockdown, I was afraid that I was going to lose that appointment. So I would have to wait longer and that sort of thing. So um, I ended up going to that specialist a few days ago, actually. I haven't gotten my results back, but I'm not in any grave danger or anything, but we're just trying to rule out anything serious. So yeah, needless to say, like if you get any kind of unexpected news about your health, you're probably going to feel uneasy. And that kind of affected my motivation, I guess. And I was... Uh, not as excited about the, the lockdown. Not that I was excited before, but um, I guess like I knew what to expect and I guess the monotony of my life uh, during the lockdown, like not going anywhere, that sort of thing, kind of put me in a bit of a creative slump, which sucks, um, as we all know, as we've all experienced. When I found out that I was being laid off, I'd actually planned on also taking part in the RPM challenge. Uh, it's a, it's actually a pretty big thing, but if you guys aren't a, aware or maybe you don't know anything about it, it's essentially this challenge where you write and record an entire album in the month of February. I didn't even start uh, recording until the last two weeks of February. So it was something that I'd been wanting to do for years, but I always made excuses or I got too scared or whatever. So I ended up trying. I I made an attempt. I unfortunately didn't have it finished by the deadline, but I'm happy that I did it. It just ended up being an EP. I think it's like six songs long. Uh, If you guys are interested and you like kind of like bedroom pop, like indie kind of folk rock music, um, I do have a an Instagram post up with a link to my music Instagram you're interested in it uh it's not perfect obviously there's there's things that i i'm not you know super excited about but uh overall i'm pretty proud that i did it and i'm proud of the product like the end product and yeah it was my first time recording anything but i've been like writing and singing for years uh so i kind of had to learn the recording and mixing part as i went along i also had a bunch of technical difficulties including my old computer just like complete completely shitting the bed and dying on me. So I had to like replace my computer. And so all of that aside, uh, I do have an EP. Uh, I do have a band camp for that EP and it's also available on Spotify now. So if you guys are interested, I will have links to that in the show notes. So with all that out of the way, um, let's get into today's topic. Um, As an extension on my last episode, we will be talking about wellness again, but this time we'll be focusing on these sort of like wellness, nutrition, and fitness, like influencers, coaches, gurus, whatever you want to call them. 
And in this episode, I really want to focus on the positive and negative impacts that these people have in these spaces, as well as what to look for when consuming content made by these influencers, like essentially how to be more, I guess, objective or more, I guess, how you can sort of filter out some of the shit, some of the bullshit. We'll be talking about quackery and pseudoscience and ridiculous health claims and how they might be conning you out of your money. All of that is coming up in the next section, so stay tuned. Before we jump in here, I just want to flag a quick content warning for diet culture, mention of disordered eating, narcissism, fat phobia, ableism, and also racism. I know these topics can really hit home for a lot of people, myself included. As always, I try to keep things really tame and nondescript, but if any of these topics are triggering to you, no worries, feel free to skip this episode. Alright, let's jump right in. So, quick disclaimer. I'm going to start off by saying that I am not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist or an expert of any kind. I'm just a person who is very passionate about science and wellness, especially mental health, nutrition, and symptom management. So, this episode is not intended to give any kind of medical advice, obviously. That kind of advice should only be given to you by your doctor, your therapist, your dietitian, or anyone else who is legally and educationally qualified to do so which I am not. And most of the people that I'm going to be talking about in this episode are also not qualified to do so. All right, you knew this was coming. We are going to talk about wellness influencers and gurus and coaches, whatever you want to call them. Uh, first of all, let's start off by defining what a wellness influencer is and what that might look like. So typically, they are people with a social media presence who focus on content creation around wellness. So that could be fitness, nutrition, or diet, spirituality, symptom management for physical or mental health issues, that sort of thing. So these people generally give out a lot of advice, or maybe they make graphics for their social media pages or blogs or Instagrams about like tips or tricks to improve your overall health and well-being. These tips may be factual. They may not be factual, but we're going to obviously get into that later on. Um, I thought it might be interesting to talk about some things that I've noticed about these influencers because I do follow a lot of them and I follow a lot of great ones too. Um, I follow mostly great ones. <laughs> I do, I'm not really the type to like hate follow someone or anything at all. So keep in mind the things I'm going to list here aren't necessarily bad things and I think that'll be pretty obvious as I list them. They're just things that I am noticing as trends in these spaces. Point number one, things. the first thing that I noticed. Um, most of these influencers, especially ones with larger followings, are overwhelmingly white, straight, thin, able-bodied, or otherwise extremely privileged people. They're usually quite young and conventionally attractive. The second thing, usually they have really big personalities and are very captivating when they speak. Number three, Typically, they follow a specific way of eating, have daily rituals that might be related to any spiritual beliefs they have, or they might be connected to alternative medicine in some way, and they usually have a fitness routine that they follow. Uh, on kind of coming off of that last note, um, they do typically subscribe to quite a bit of pseudoscience, which will be something that we're going to talk a lot about in today's episode, obviously. Another thing I've noticed, so this is point number five, is that many of these people give out quite a bit of health advice and a lot of them even sell fitness nutrition plans um, through what is often called coaching. And we're going to talk a bit about that term as well. Uh, so that's something you see a lot in these wellness spaces. The sixth point that I noticed is these programs can be extremely expensive, both as a product, I guess, that they're selling, but also especially when nutrition is involved. Um, it can it could be expensive because they might be telling you to purchase superfoods and supplements and um, you know natural remedies that sort of thing. So we're gonna unpack each of these points here. The first point: Why is privilege important here? So 
Privilege is always important, <laughs> especially when it comes to financial gain. Why is physical attractiveness important here? Um, is that a privilege? So people who come from a lot of privilege have a completely different experience from those who are living without these things. So getting advice from a rich, able-bodied, thin, white person is probably not going to be relatable to a poor, uh, fat, or larger-bodied person of color who may have a disability of some kind. Um, a lot of the advice they might be giving could include foods or supplements that are expensive or not accessible, or that could even be harmful to people of different, less privileged backgrounds. So as we've spoken about in the last episode, these supplements are not benign. They can harm you, especially if they're interacting with health issues that you have or, you know, medications that you take for those health issues. Physical attractiveness is important because of beauty standards. <laughs> I think based on everything I just said, or maybe if you've listened to some of my other episodes, you won't be surprised when I say that I truly believe that beauty standards are complete Eurocentric, anti-black, fatphobic, ableist, misogynist bullshit. There's definitely validity to the term pretty privilege, which is basically the concept of how people who are more conventionally attractive, so people who fit into those beauty standards that I described, um, will be treated better overall than people who do not fit into these beauty standards. Physical attractiveness is important because it can really help you build a larger following. Human beings we, we just like looking at people who are attractive. That's just the nature of being a person, right? Um, and to a degree, it makes us like them more and it makes us want to believe what they have to say and it makes us invest in them more. Curating an aesthetic isn't just about how these influencers' Instagram pages look like or what their blogs look like. It's also about how they look. So looking good is really just part of the job. And again, that's not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just something that I've noticed. Um, and obviously it's no shock that a lot of these influencers are, you know, also models and they're in great shape. Um, so these influencers are selling themselves or rather their subscribers and fans perception of themselves. So it might not actually be anything. This persona that they have might be nothing like how they are in, in person. Um, everybody has like a work version of themselves. Like everybody talks about like a customer service face. It's the same thing. Again, not a bad thing. That just means you have boundaries, right? Um, sometimes when these followers buy those meal plans or those fitness plans to a degree, they at least subconsciously believe that they're buying a part of that influencer's success. Um, and they might also think that if they follow these fitness plans or these diet plans, that maybe they'll end up looking like that influencer, like they're going to look as good as that influencer or be as thin or as healthy as them. Um, so all of that said, obviously, uh, looks are super important, but something that is equally as important, in my opinion, is their personality. And I think there's definitely a lot of varied observable traits here within these kind of wellness influencer spaces. Um, but if, you know, a person does not have a memorable, likable, or unique personality, these people probably wouldn't or couldn't be as successful as they are. So it isn't just about looks, obviously. Typically, these influencers um, come off as being confident and, or, and very kind, funny, outgoing, or even a bit, you know, kind of boisterous or loud um, in their content, especially if they're making YouTube videos. Um, they may identify themselves as empaths or people who care a lot, or at the very least, they're often perceived as being more extroverted um, than the average person, even if they're more introverted in real life, which I think is probably very common, especially if you're a creative person. Sometimes you see these people being extremely positive, maybe kind of leaning into more toxically positive. They're often very charming and witty and uh, funny. Obviously, none of these things are inherently bad, except for maybe the toxically positive, the toxic positivity thing. Um, but I think sometimes people forget that what they see online and what a person might be like in real life can be very different. So a person might be showing aspects of their personality that are truthful, but they also could be completely fabricating or, or just exaggerating uh, personality traits. A person's online life does not necessarily reflect who they are. It might just be a character that they are playing. And again, that can be totally fine. 
and not harmful at all. I think to a degree, it can be healthy to separate yourself from your work um, or to keep certain things private. But what is harmful is when people who maybe are not so nice in person, maybe have ulterior motives, maybe they're emotionally manipulative in real life, they're bigoted or toxic overall, these types of people can disguise their behavior and then use it to take advantage of others. So personality type is important here because just like any space, any kind of creative space, there are going to be shitty humans no matter where you go. And uh, they're pretty good at hiding it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of room within wellness spaces for this kind of behavior. And like I mentioned in the last episode, there are a lot of people within wellness communities who are marginalized or struggling with like health issues and that sort of thing. And they find themselves in these situations where someone is taking advantage of them um, because there's a lot of vulnerable people within the wellness community. And the scary part is it's really easy for these darker personalities to take advantage of these vulnerable people. And actually, I also want to say that you don't even need to be an, a bad or like evil person to do harm to another person. Like an influencer can genuinely have your best interest in mind or your recovery at heart and still harm you. And it's just extra tragic and problematic when money and privilege is involved. Putting your health and wellness into another person's hands requires a lot of trust. Trust that they care about your well-being. Trust that they are informed enough to make good choices and give you advice that will help you and not harm you. Trust that they will admit when they're wrong or trust that they will not manipulate or traumatize you. Trust that they will tell you to see a professional who actually knows what they're talking about if they don't, if they don't have that educational background. Moving into my third point, uh, talking about how these influencers have specific diets or rituals and that sort of thing. Restrictive diet plans are really popular um, as both plans that influencers follow themselves and also as um, plans that they sell to their followers or clients. I would argue that there are a lot of people with undiagnosed or untreated eating disorders uh, within the community of wellness influencers. Overall, there's a lot of diet culture and pseudoscience uh, regarding fitness and that sort of thing and uh, nutrition. Food intake specifically, uh, you'll see a lot of uh, vegans who are like high carb, low fat. You'll see a lot of keto and like um, almost strictly carnivore diets, uh, alkaline diets, intermittent fasting, raw diets, gluten-free diets, um, cleanses like juice cleanses. All of that is very much diet culture, um, which is harmful. So yeah, like I mentioned, daily rituals regarding extracts and supplements are common. Over-exercising is very common, um, especially in relation to how much food that they're eating. There are influencers who don't seem to really eat a restrictive diet, which is really good. Um, a lot of coaches and bloggers who focus on intuitive eating and anti-diet culture come to mind. I think of someone like Caitlin Shoemaker. She's like a vegan YouTuber that I follow and I really like her content. Um, she's She posts a lot of uh, what I eat in a day type videos and um, she's a really good example of someone who like eats intuitively. I'll also say that having these like really restrictive or extreme ways of eating can actually help influencers, especially if a person is in really or like appears to be in really great shape or have amazing skin or people who are like super thin um, because they can credit their physical appearance and fitness level or their health to like the way that they eat or expensive supplements, um, superfoods or that sort of thing. And these like tips that they give out um, kind of help them get a lot of attention and it helps them build a larger audience because like I mentioned before, Fans and followers want to look like and be like these influencers. Point number four, pseudoscience. I'll, later on in the episode, I'll be getting to some of the more common claims made by wellness influencers. So I'm not going to talk about that here. Um, but overall, if you've listened to my last episode, you'll know that claims made by followers of pseudoscience and alternative medicine can be really harmful and detrimental to a person's health. Many influencers tout about like being 
all natural and ditching prescriptions or conventional uh, healthcare, which again is dangerous. It's just bottom line. It's just dangerous to do that. Um, that's why it's super fucking problematic. So on the note of pseudoscience, um, advising people on their health as a coach, which does not mean that a person is legally recognized as a healthcare provider or an expert of any kind, um, can be dangerous, especially when they're treating you with pseudoscience-based methods with no significant ties to actual science or scientific research. There are, especially when we're talking about nutrition, there are levels of education um, that you need, that you should look for probably when you're talking about nutrition. And this is going to be different from country to country. But generally speaking, for example, if we're talking about nutrition, the highest degree of education in nutrition would be a dietitian. And these people um, can be more focused in one area than another, just like doctors can be like, so... For example, some dietitians might specialize in treating people with eating disorders or they might um, be more focused on digestive issues or allergies. Um, All of those things can kind of be comparable to a family doctor versus a doctor who specializes in skin health or in gut health or in eye health, right? Like you have different like disciplines within these fields. Um, I'll also say on the topic of wellness influencers who are subscribing and giving out pseudoscientific advice, most people are not equipped with the skills to analyze scientific data. Like I mentioned in the last episode, Um, coaches and influencers are not an exception to this. A degree or a certificate does not mean that a person is an expert in any particular subject. Um, And when I say that, I mean more so like a bachelor's degree in psychology does not make someone qualified to treat a mental illness or diagnose anyone. A a certificate in nutrition, which usually, by the way, only take, it can take anywhere between six months to a year um, in some, in some cases, does not mean that someone is an expert on uh, nutrition. Like dietitians go to school for a very, for a very, very long time to become dietitians and the level of education is important here, right? There are plenty of people who are not influencers who are more educated than wellness influencers or coaches. Um, Talking point number six, when we're talking about money, like these plans costing a lot of money. Generally speaking, these plans are expensive, uh, especially considering that these people are usually not any more educated than the average person. Diet plans will typically include Um, more expensive ingredients and unnecessary and costly supplements. So now that we kind of know what a wellness influencer looks like, particularly the more problematic ones, let's get into some of the more problematic claims that they make um, or even the advice that they might suggest. All of that is coming up right after we take a break. So now we come to the section where I talk about some examples of traits you might see in a good influencer or coach versus what you would see in a bad influencer or coach. And then I'm also going to get into some of the health claims that you might hear, um, which are just completely based in pseudoscience and have like no scientific backing at all. So some examples of things to look for in an influencer that you probably want to support. The first thing is a good influencer will not make a bunch of health claims. They will often have disclaimers in their uh, content as well. And they'll usually admit where their area of interest and knowledge actually lie instead of just saying that they're an expert in a bunch of different fields. A good influencer or coach will also encourage you to talk to your healthcare providers. So they won't just, I guess, try to get you to go to them for everything. They'll tell you, talk to your doctor, talk to your dietitian, talk to your therapist instead of, yeah, if you have any of these issues, just come to me. I'll fix it all for you. A good influencer or coach will empower you to make choices yourself. Um, and make choices that are beneficial to you and your lifestyle. If they're specifically giving nutritional advice, um, they really should have some kind of educational background and 
some knowledge about the field that they're working in, especially if they're selling some kind of meal plan or something like that. A good influencer is willing to change their opinion on things when new evidence is brought forward. Um, this is a good sign of someone who is actually interested in science um, because as we know, science is imperfect and if there's a bunch of new evidence that might disprove an old claim, we really should be keeping up to date on those things, especially if you are an influencer who is talking about um, wellness and diet and fitness. Because a lot of the stuff that we know now as fact regarding physical wellness and physical health are essentially like completely the opposite of what we used to believe. Like, I just think this is an extreme example, but I just think of like cigarettes as a good example. Like, before we knew that cigarettes were dangerous, people were actually prescribed them by doctors and that sort of thing. So yeah, unfortunately, um, a lot of influencers are using like a lot of outdated um, information, I guess. The next thing to look for that is a good sign that you're supporting someone who has great intentions and is a good influencer, I guess, um, is they are unbiased and they don't have prejudices against people based on body size, which is a very common thing in the wellness community. Um, whether or not you have a disability, if you're able-bodied, that sort of thing. Fitness level, uh, their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, religion, ethnicity, etc. Essentially, is this influencer bigoted or not? You should probably support influencers and coaches who are not bigoted. The next thing to look for is an influencer who is compassionate to people's needs and emotional well-being and obstacles. Um, obviously, compassion and empathy is very important, uh, especially when you're dealing with something like physical or emotional health. A good influencer will let their client set their own goals and will encourage them to listen to their bodies. And on that note... They will not give you advice that is dangerous, like, for example, eating very restrictively. Um, they will also allow rest days. A good influencer is flexible. A good coach is flexible. Um, they, again, like I said before, they will let you set your own goals and that sort of thing. A good influencer will respect your boundaries. If you say you're not comfortable with something, they'll say, that's cool, like, totally fine. And a good influencer or coach will also admit that they don't know everything about wellness and fitness, etc. kind of bouncing back to those first few points that I made. So if they're open and willing to admit that they're wrong, that's a really good sign. Some examples of maybe red flags <laughs> that you kind of want to look out for when you are looking at these uh, wellness and fitness influencers and coaches on social media. Number one, uh, makes extravagant health claims about their plans. This is, I think, pretty straightforward. Um, also, an influencer or coach who restricts food intake, um, especially when they're making these plans based on those restrictions. So if an influencer is telling you to eat a restrictive diet, like a diet that restricts calories or specific macros, um, like carbs or fat, uh, a diet which is probably restrictive in micros, like, um, you know, you're not allowed to eat grains or fruit or different types of vegetables and that sort of thing. Um, very, very bad sign. Or an influencer or coach who demonizes specific foods or food groups. That's also a great way of telling if this might be someone you don't want to follow, um, because these are obviously very good examples of a diet culture, which I'll get into a bit later. Another thing too is that these more toxic personalities will often make claims about um, their plans regarding how uh, sustainable they are. Obviously, it's not sustainable to eat restrictively, but oftentimes they will claim that they are sustainable by saying, oh, you can eat as much as you want and still lose weight. If you're still losing weight by eating large amounts of food, uh, there's you're clearly not eating enough calories or enough fat or enough carbs or that sort of thing. So while the volume of food may be large, you're probably not actually eating enough food. So this actually may be a reflection of how uh, they feel about food themselves um, that they're not willing to admit and they may project these issues onto clients. And that may be because of some of these prejudices that I talked about earlier. A bad influencer or coach will disempower you. They will make you feel like you need to go to them for everything, for your physical health. 
they may feel like you need to go to them for, you know, your emotional needs, that sort of thing, um, when they are not, they can't be your resource for all of these things. They're not an expert in every field of wellness, obviously. Next red flag is has prejudices and biases. I know I said this before, but if your coach or this influencer that you're supporting has prejudices against people because they're fat phobic or racist or ableist or any of those things that are terrible and wrong with the world, you probably should not support them or give them any of your money or time or attention. Another red flag is that they subscribe to pseudoscience. And I've said this over and over and over again, but someone who pushes pseudoscience on you, like detoxes, that sort of thing, is probably not someone that you want to support. A bad influencer or coach will also not respect your boundaries and is generally pretty disrespectful. I, I've heard many, many times of people, you know, seeing these kind of like fitness type coaches and essentially being verbally abused by them the whole time and being put down by them and making them these these coaches will make people feel like shit about their bodies because they don't look like that influencers or that coach's body they're not like super ripped or very very thin and that sort of thing another red flag if your influencer or coach uh, that you're supporting ignores health advice from professionals if they're telling you to stop taking medications without you know consulting your doctor first or whatever if they're telling you don't go to the doctor even though you have an infection like things like that you probably shouldn't support them this shit is that, that can get dangerous real fast. Uh, the next thing is someone who encourages you to do things that are harmful, something that is harmful physically or emotionally. Um, so examples of this could be uh, telling you to work out far beyond uh, your body's capabilities or uh, based on your calorie intake, telling you to burn way more calories than what you're taking in. Or uh, someone who is harming you emotionally, like you know, making you feel like you're trash because you're not meeting whatever goals that they've set for you. Or maybe they're telling you to do things that are extremely triggering for you, like telling you to cut out certain foods uh, when you've had a background of struggling with disordered eating, that sort of thing. The next red flag is an influencer who is inflexible, who is not open to kind of working with you and your needs. Bad influencers and coaches will often believe that they are an expert, even though they have no educational background at all um, in these different areas of wellness, like fitness and nutrition and um, medicine. So, you know, they might talk about different studies or specific studies, but probably not have the skills to analyze these studies because most people in the world are not equipped with these skills. That's why meta-analysis are so important and that's why it's important to look at the larger body of evidence itself. Like how many of these studies have been conducted? How many times have these re exact results been repeated? Because a lot more than just reading the study and seeing the findings. You know, you need to look at, is there a control group? Uh, you know, was there a, was it a double-blind study? Um, how many people were involved? Who was funding the study? All those things are really important. But um, if you have a bias towards like a certain uh, diet or uh, certain types of like herbal supplements and that sort of thing, you're obviously going to want to find studies that support whatever claims you're making. Um, the next red flag is an influencer or coach who compliments you for doing things that are harmful or dangerous to you emotionally or physically. So if you're working to the point that you're getting sick or hurting yourself, uh, if you feel like shit all the time, you're ignoring your body's hunger cues, um, you're ignoring emotional signals that something's wrong and they're, they're complimenting you for having willpower, that sort of thing, that's a very, very bad sign and you probably shouldn't support them. Your next thing is an a coach or influencer who does not allow you to rest or take breaks. People who are well-versed in fitness uh, and nutrition and medicine will tell you that the body, the human body is not meant to, you know, go to the point of exhaustion every single day. Like human beings need breaks. We need to rest. We need to allow our bodies to heal. So if they're telling you to like really overexert yourself all the time, they're probably not someone you want to support. 
The next thing is pretty obvious. I kind of touched on it, on it before, but if your coach or the influencer that you're supporting is saying abusive things to you or other people, maybe don't give them your money or your attention or your time because that's fucked up. I don't care how many followers you have. That's not cool. So the next point is toxic positivity. If your coach or the influencer that you're supporting is toxically positive, probably not a good sign. If you're coming to them with, I guess, uh, concerns about your emotional health, or if you're bringing up um, criticisms of their behavior that has been harmful to you in some way, uh, and they're responding by telling you that you have really negative energy or that uh, you need to see the silver lining or that sort of thing. Very, very bad sign. Um, It's actually a good sign that they may be a narcissist or have narcissistic traits, um, which is the next point. Um, Obviously, just because someone has traits of narcissism doesn't mean they're a narcissist, but uh, it does mean that they may be toxic to be around. They probably are toxic to be around. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but uh, when it comes to that, because I am a survivor of narcissistic abuse. But uh, if your coach or the influencer that you're supporting has a lot of narcissistic traits, uh, they're unempathetic, they're manipulative, that sort of thing, probably not someone you want to support. So the final point is more about the way a coach or influencer may respond to physical signs that something is wrong. So if you're showing signs of malnutrition or overexertion or injury or that sort of thing, and they're telling you that it's normal or they blame it on something else that is not connected to their program, even if it's very obviously the program that you're paying for, um, and they're telling you that it's normal, very, very bad sign. And it's, it's extremely common within these communities. Um, they may even blame it on you. They may even somehow make it your fault by being like, you just don't have enough willpower. You're just not trying hard enough, or you're not doing these exact instructions that I told you to, that sort of thing. If your hair start, starts falling out, if you start feeling tired all the time and getting sick a lot, if um, say you're like a menstruating person and you lose your period, those are all very, very bad signs and uh, directly related to not nurturing your body and not nourishing your body with food or just burning too many calories. So um, often the outcome of eating a restrictive diet, especially for long periods of time. So now that we've talked about what a good influencer and a bad influencer or coach looks like... going to talk about just quickly some beliefs in the wellness community that you might hear from these people and uh, I'm here to tell you that they are completely not based in fact at all and they are completely just made up pseudoscientific bullshit okay or just outdated information actually a lot of them are Um, detox Um, your body detoxes itself with your liver and your kidneys if an influencer or coach tells you to drink lemon water and ginger or fucking green tea or tells you to drink juice every day for a week um, that is not detoxing you that is not a thing Um, and you can look this up Uh, it is not real (laughs) Uh, you know some lemon in some water is not more powerful than your organs that are complex and designed to essentially keep your body functioning the way that it needs to. The next thing is uh, you'll uh, another big thing that you'll see, especially in graphics online, and I've noticed these uh, graphics uh, talking about this specific point a lot lately because of COVID-19. If an influencer is telling you that something is anti-inflammatory and immune boosting, just know that it's complete bullshit. Um, Inflammation is actually an immune response. A food cannot be two at once. (laughs) Um, It's not really a thing. Um, Also, I'm going to link an episode of one of my favorite podcasts in the show notes that talks about immunity and immune boosting and if it's real or not. Um, But anybody who's listening to this has like an autoimmune disorder, they'll be able to tell you that having a boosted immune system is actually not a good thing. It's actually, it can be dangerous and not good for your health. Um, You probably don't want your immune system to be like super, super high because that actually causes autoimmune disorders or rather autoimmune disorders are an example of someone who has uh, an immune system that is just too overactive. 
Um, I just think of things like rheumatoid arthritis or, I don't know, alopecia. You can lose all your hair because your immune system is too overactive. You can do things that support your immune system, uh, but none of it involve magical superfoods or supplements. It's really all about exercise and living a balanced lifestyle, right? So that means not eating super restrictively and not over-exercising. Um, just moving your body enough that you feel good and your body feels good. The next point, diets that are restrictive. So when I say, I know I've mentioned this before, but if it's, if they're talking about diets that are restrictive in the way of restricting food groups or macros, like saying that you shouldn't eat any carbs or fat or maybe a diet that excludes whole grains and fruit uh, or certain vegetables. Uh, a lot of these diets are unhealthy. They often just lead to binging. Um, intuitive eating is really the key to having a good relationship with food. Um, and obviously a good dietitian can help you do that. Um, hunger and fullness cues and your feeling towards food can be really altered by uh, eating in a really disordered way or a restrictive way. So it is important that you kind of talk to your your healthcare providers about that. It, cutting out carbs, cutting out fat, cutting out whatever, it just always leads to binging and feeling out of control or feeling like you need to be overly controlling about your food intake. Um, common beliefs in the wellness community, uh, anyone can lose weight. This is just not true. Um, not everyone is meant to be thin. Your body has a baseline of healthy weight. This is just the largely accepted fact. Um, you know, this has been studied at length um, for a long period of time. Uh, everyone is different. Everyone has a different baseline for their health uh, with regards to weight. Very supported by science. Uh, yeah, next point is if you are smaller, you will be healthier. Obviously not true. Thin does not mean healthy. Um, I am a thin person who is who deals with a lot of health issues. If I was not a thin person, I probably would not um, be treated the way that I am because of the health issues that I live with. Actually, I know people who have the same health issues that I do and have larger or are larger than I am and they've been told that it's because they're it's because of their body size when in reality it's just their body is like that. Um, the next point is if you have muscle mass and a lower body fat percentage, you will be healthier. So being actually physically fit and muscular and toned does not mean healthy. Um, I was actually talking to a, a pal of mine who is a coach, like a fitness coach, and we actually rant about this a lot, but there are a lot of people out there, especially in the wellness and fitness community who are fucking ripped and like in great physical shape like they look very like physically fit because they're really muscular and that sort of thing but they actually probably have undiagnosed and untreated eating disorders or you know their hair is falling out or say they lost their period because they're over exercising and not eating enough food but they look they look very healthy and people say that they want to look like them um so yeah muscular and fit does not mean healthy either also, mental health uh, is another thing to take into account there. Just because someone's physically healthy does not mean that they're emotionally healthy. Because obviously, being afraid to eat a cookie is not a healthy way of thinking about food. Not knocking anybody for being that way, obviously, but um, that's just true. The next thing is foods being metabolism boosting. Um, this is just not scientifically true um like i mentioned before in an episode uh i used to work at a tea shop and people just come in all the time and be like oh do you have a tea that'll boost my metabolism like no your metabolism is often decided by genetics uh, how much muscle mass you have how much you move around is there metabolic damage going on there do you have any hormonal issues that might be affecting your metabolism do you have a uterus it's another big one. Um, are you sick? Do you have like any physical health issues that may affect your your metabolism? And another thing too is like how old you are. It's just a fact of the world that as you age, your metabolism slows down. That is just the nature of being a human being, being, being a living being on this earth. Another big one uh, that is a huge piss off to me personally is this idea that emotional eating is bad. 
The fact of the matter is eating is an emotional experience, right? Like we actually, as humans, build the way that we celebrate our lives, our spirituality, our accomplishments um, around food, like even how we grieve. Like I think of like big meals and potlucks and um, family gatherings or a gathering of friends and that sort of thing. And we all have positive and nostalgic memories surrounding food. Like I think of specific foods during the holidays, like people who celebrate Christmas, I think of like in Newfoundland anyways, like lots of like different t kinds of cookies and cakes and um, hot chocolate and that sort of thing. So food is supposed to be emotional. You're supposed, it's supposed to feel good to eat things that are delicious. It's not a bad thing to enjoy food and to be emotionally attached to food. Obviously, I'm not talking about people who have a disordered relationship with food who like binge eat and that sort of thing. That's a completely separate topic. But the idea that you need to look at food just as um, fuel is just, to me, just so backwards and so not natural. Um, obviously, we, need, we should try to eat as... Uh, nutritionally dense as we can without going into talking about food security because I feel like that needs its own episode but um, food security and accessibility but um, you know there's nothing wrong with enjoying food and feeling emotional about food. Another really common uh, health claim or like diet tip that I see a lot on these influencer pages is um, if you're hungry drink a glass of water or eat an apple um, ignoring your body's hunger cues is actually one of the worst things you can do for yourself um, and from personal experience as someone who has like gone through disordered eating and an eating disorder it's really damaging uh, because you really can lose your hunger and fullness cues like and, and you can retrain your body to get those cues back but you really shouldn't ignore your hunger. If you're hungry, eat something. If you're thirsty, drink something. If you have, if there's snacks around or food around and you need to eat something, eat something. There's nothing wrong with eating, even after you've just ate. Um, and don't let anybody tell you that you should be hungry all the time because that's, yeah, that's just not true. Appetite suppressants is the next thing. Uh, yeah. So you might be able to fill your stomach with liquid or something when you're hungry, but yeah, not, not something that exists really like, and probably not something you want to do anyway. You probably don't want to consume real appetite suppressants because they're probably not good for you and can ruin your relationship with food and ruin your hunger and fullness cues. The next thing is bloating equals bad. Um, bloating, just so you guys know, is completely normal. People's bodies, your, your abdomen is meant to expand when you eat and drink things. Uh, it is meant to expand when you need to pee or just go to the bathroom in general. Uh, bloating is largely impacted by hormones, the types of food you eat. If you eat a lot of salt or carbohydrates, which there's nothing wrong with eating those two things, um, you probably retain a little water. Um, being bloated or even just gaining weight is not a failure. You're, you're a human being. You're not meant to be at a specific weight number 24-7. That's just not how it works. And yeah. So yeah, um, with regards to these health claims, like obviously cleanses, teas, uh, really common things herbal remedies for infections obviously i'm not cool with that uh no one should be cool with that if you listen to my last episode you would know probably dangerous probably not something you want to be doing another thing too is that i just want to touch on is that a lot of these influencers really single out people with like intermittent chronic illnesses um i just think of uh chronic illnesses like um ibs for example like Many people with IBS like have flare-ups that are not even related to anything that they're eating. They could be, but um, sometimes it's just your body's reaction to stress. Like you get a bit of diarrhea, you know, has nothing to do with what you're eating. You're just stressed out and your body's like, hey, you're going to have the runs now. But a wellness influencer or coach might see that and be like, yeah, that's uh, because you, you eat all that gluten when you 
probably don't have celiac disease and you would probably know if you did especially if you've been tested for it um or they might tell you like yeah you can't eat any uh you can't eat any fruit because that'll give that's bad for you so you should probably cut out all carbs and everything and just eat keto because that'll stop your diarrhea um when in reality you just have ibs that's going to come and go as you live your life and that's just living in a body with ibs right and I, like, I just want to touch on the fact that, like, a lot of influencers will just make you feel like it's your fault. You're sick because, you know, this idea that you're sick because of this thing that you're doing and that you're eating or whatever. And it's important to remember that no one is perfect, obviously. Sometimes people are just misinformed or maybe they just really believe in something and, you know, they just haven't seen any, any scientific evidence that disproves what they think. Um, they just haven't been given that information and to a degree I think it's fine to like have certain practices within your wellness rituals that kind of like make you feel good like maybe that's drinking lemon water in the morning but just know that it's not detoxing you you know um there are certain wellness practices that I think are great like meditation or mindfulness or um you know eating a nourishing breakfast or moving your body uh, exercising that sort of thing so yeah all of that said i do think it's important to remember that no one is perfect i'm not saying that all of the influencers that you follow are malicious vultures that are just trying to get all your money a lot of people just don't know that what they're saying isn't scientifically factual or isn't true um and I, but i do think it's important that we call it out when we see it and that we try to filter through the misinformation and the real science when we're taking in a lot of this content. I do think it's important to try to learn some skills that can maybe help you make better choices about what you invest your money and your time in, uh, or rather who you, you invest your money and your time in. Influencers are just regular people who happen to be very oftentimes attractive, charismatic, passionate, privileged human beings. Nine times out of 10, they are not experts in their field. And say they are sharing misinformation, they might not be doing it maliciously. It might just be a complete honest mistake. Um, and that's fine, but I do think it's important that we call it out, we do our own research, and we talk to the real experts, especially when our health is involved. As always, thank you so much for tuning into Your Own Comfort Zone today. I hope you gained some insight or a little nugget of wisdom on the topic of wellness gurus, influencers, and coaches. If you enjoy content like this, remember to like, rate, or give this episode five stars. It really helps this podcast grow and reach more people. Share this podcast with your friends, your family, your partners, your pets, or anyone else you think might find this information useful or interesting. You can find your Uncomfort Zone on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and at our home base, the Anchor app. If you have any suggestions for future episode topics, questions, comments, or maybe you just want to say hi, you can find me on Instagram at your Uncomfort Zone Pod. Feel free to shoot me a DM or leave a comment, and don't forget to follow me while you're at it. I share lots of resources, and I post updates about the podcast there as well. Thanks for listening and have the sweetest day. Bye.